0: We were looking at
1: two separate things. We were looking at the previous project of looking at cobalt strike infections, and we were also looking at uh, exploit kits that were, new exploit kits that were being used in in the wild.
0: That's John DiMaggio, he's a senior threat intelligence analyst at Symantec. The research we're discussing today is titled Wasted Locker, Symantec identifies wave of attacks against U.S. organizations. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash Zero Trust AI.
1: So what we found was uh, there's an exploit kit called uh, Sock Ghoulish, and I don't make these names. Uh, and uh, it, well, while it itself is not not so so much that it is it's brand new as much as um, it has sort of been updated. And there was an increased presence that we began to see, which is what caught our attention in the first place. It turned out that there was quite a large footprint of infrastructure across you know the, the internet as a whole um, in comparison to to other exploit kits um, in in which we were seeing it. Uh, the interesting part of it is it was being delivered as a browser update so right then you know that was sort of an indicator that this was a larger attack than regular um, regular exploit kits the reason I say that is you know a lot of times these will be used just by phishing emails and things like that it's much more manual but when you're using it to deliver as a browser update that's usually indicative of that it's attached to a watering hole or a compromised website as you can imagine the more uh, you, you dig and you see things like compromised uh, websites and, and larger infrastructure to deliver something, you, know, you, you probably have a more advanced attacker because obviously it takes time um, and resources to compromise uh, not just one legitimate website, but many. And that's what we were seeing. So we didn't know at first it was a ransomware attack, but we did know that it was at least uh, adversary with a medium level of sophistication that had the ability to um, compromise legitimate websites, cr- create and package this as a browser update and then infect victims. Where we went from there, uh, we 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 actually started to 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 look into what happened to systems once that malware w- was executed, once that browser update was executed, and what we found was it was downloading some shellcode, but it was also being used to sort of profile the victims. So it was collecting the the network and the network name, the system names, um, the user's name that was logged in, and sending it back. And the reason that's relevant is, you know that is information that can be used to determine who the victim organization is. So let's say it's a mom and pop shop versus being, you know, a, a, a major, uh, retail chain or a major technology company, you know, that's going to make a difference to an adversary. So seeing that there was a bit of profiling going on, seeing that there was compromised compromise websites involved and that this was being packaged as a browser update, we knew we had something interesting. Uh, we didn't know it was this, what was ransomware, Let alone a brand new uh, ransomware variant that hadn't been seen before. Uh, You know, Wasted Locker had just been first reported a couple days prior um, to us figuring out what we had was was similar uh, in 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 its binary uh, and its behaviors. um, And then we validated that, and in fact, was that the difference is is we had a a lot of good information now on the life cycle of this, not just how it was being used to infect, but the actual. um, you know, the, the actual mechanisms of once they were on a network or a system, what the bad guys did. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I can continue on from there. I want to take a sort of step back to let you sort of ask questions. I know I gave you a lot of information.
0: Yeah, well, before we dig into to the details of what exactly happens here, um, you're, you're pretty confident in your attribution here. This is, uh, this is being attributed to uh, a group that we have heard of before.
1: Yes, yes it is. Uh, so there's a group called Evil Corp. Uh, the name actually comes from the TV show, uh, Mr. Robot. Um, it's the uh, the hacking group that in the TV show is used to sort of attack the financial industry and disrupt credit card companies and things of that nature. Um, this was uh, along the same lines, you know, that they're they're attacking major companies and they're stealing large amounts of money or extorting large amounts of money. Um, and, and hence the name sort of stuck I honestly don't know whether they gave themselves that name or whether it was uh, something that was applied to them. Um, But yeah, Evil Corp actually started out as uh, a cyber criminal group that was uh, in the banking malware business. Um, So they actually used a very famous malware known as Drydex. Uh, Mm. That malware would, would sit on the victim's computer and it would simply uh, act as a as a middleman, and it would watch as you as you use your browser and you went to various websites. Uh, when it saw that you browsed to a banking website, however, uh, it would inject itself and it would present what to the user looked like the legitimate um, you know the legitimate website. However, uh, it actually was a fake website that captured your credentials and then sent them back to Evil Corp, and they would liquidate your account, take all your money, uh, and move on to the next victim. Uh, Over time, though, you know, the cybersecurity community began to keep up with that, uh, began to identify these uh, injects before they could even be used in some cases, and they got less and less of an opportunity to to, to actually have success with that. So knowing that and being, you know, uh, I'll call them, you know, sophisticated attackers, they evolved. Um, That evolution changed to ransomware. Now it wasn't wasted locker. However, uh, what they did is they still leveraged the Drydex malware. That malware, by this time, had been in existence for years, and it had a large footprint. It had infected massive amounts of victims. So they used that as sort of a, a, a step into profiling and finding good victims for ransom. And there was components built into Drydex since it was module based that they could use that were completely separate from any sort of banking. Uh, compromise. So they would use that to uh, gain privileges, to steal passwords, things of that nature. Uh, That footprint and that sort of infrastructure, uh, they then applied to what was called BitPamer ransomware. And that was the initial uh, variant that was being used um, by these guys um, for years. Uh, BitPamer became very popular. Uh, It was reported by the media, law enforcement took a big interest in it. And in December of 2019, the United The state's government uh, issued some in uh, the Department of Justice uh, issued indictments against two members of Evil Corp um, for that activity involving both Drydex and the Bitpaymer ransomware that sort of is, is likely what what led to this kind of change in tactics, change in malware, change in infrastructure and that's where we saw wasted locker. So wasted locker is not an evolution of bitpimper uh, or at least it doesn't appear to be. It appears to be a new instance of ransomware. We're also seeing, you know, this new delivery method. Doesn't mean we won't see them still use Rydex, but we're in this particular campaign, you know, as I mentioned, they're using this new exploit kit um, and they're using legitimate compromised infrastructure to Deliver it. So in tandem, it's a whole new attack lifecycle, brand new ransomware, ransomware, brand new infection vector. Um, What is similar is some of the tactics when the adversary is actually on the victim network. Um, But besides that, they really spent the time, money, and resources to sort of reinvent themselves. And it does take. Time, money, and resources. That's not just you know something I'm saying. It actually yeah. is a, is an operation, and, and all of that uh, has a cost to it. So this was important enough for them to retool and to spend the time and money to do.
0: Well, let's walk through it together. Can you take us through step by step from the from the very beginning? What happens when these uh, folks get you in your cro- in their crosshairs?
1: Absolutely. So uh, it starts where the user browses to a, uh, a compromised website. What we found was most or many of the legitimate websites that were compromised um, belonged to a, a U.S. newspaper or a U.S. news organization. Their infrastructure had many different um, news-related websites, and uh, we believe that the um, adversary was specifically looking to target U.S. companies and organizations. So a U.S. newspaper uh, and their infrastructure would sort of make sense uh, as a good starting place anyway to begin entry um, in, in, into obtaining access to victims. So they compromised these websites, and what they did is um, they used the uh, the exploit kit to um, – to, so that when the browser, when 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 the user or the potential victim went to the to the legitimate website, they were then redirected uh, in the background to the at ad, to adversary controlled infrastructure where they actually delivered the exploit kit SoC Ghoulish, uh, that payload as, as in, onto their systems. So they're browsing to the website. A little window pops up and says, "Hey, you need to update your browser in order to continue uh, viewing our website." You know that happens every day for legitimate hmm. purposes. It looks legit. They select okay. It downloads and infects them. Um, they still don't know they're infected. Uh, what happens at this point um, is, like I said, that initial profiling takes place where information is sent back to um, the bad guy and they then can choose to continue um, the operation or to uh, not continue and just let that uh, victim go about their way. Um, if the victim meets their requirements and it is of interest to them, now the, the, the exploit kit will download uh, PowerShell, PowerShell uh, is. Uh, I'm sorry, it uses PowerShell in the victim system to download Cobalt Strike. Apologize, I misspoke. Um, mm. And that that Cobalt Strike is is compiled in memory. Um, it also downloads what's called a .NET injector. So the the PowerShell and the .NET injector allow them to inject any payload they want so any sort of malicious uh, malware that they want to run um, they can now do in memory of the victim system again it's important to, to understand that that makes it fileless it, It's fileless is important because it doesn't touch the disk which makes it much harder for defenders antivirus software endpoint detection to uh, identify it doesn't mean it won't get identified but it makes it harder to identify so at that point there's there's two javascripts so one we already talked about that's the update piece where it it does the initial infection and the other piece is 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 a script basically and um, between the two you have cobalt strike um, compiled and then you have another uh, uh, payload that's placed on the system so now that the adversary actually has access um, at this point they need to enumerate the network and identify servers Uh, they need to identify all the relevant file systems that they would want to infect with a ransomware payload so they use legitimate tools that are present in the, in the network. Now, a lot of those are sort of common across the, uh, the dozen or so larger enterprise ransomware attackers, but there were some interesting aspects that were a little bit different here. So Cobalt Strike, as I've mentioned before, we see them all the time. That's a tool that's commonly used. Um, but some of the things that stuck out that we saw in this particular attack um, was they used a tool called PowerView, which is a legitimate tool that was probably used because it was present in a lot of the victim systems. And what that would do is it would allow them to do um, active directory enumeration. So it's a tool that's meant mm-hmm. to administrate and to um, do processes and services via active directory, all legitimate, used by administrators. And they use that to, to sort of further their compromise. Um, another very interesting thing with this that differed from some of their previous attacks is you know, what we saw before was where they'd actually identify um, some of the, the defense software and systems. Systems, and they would actually, once they had administrative privileges, they would disable it. And what we saw this time was they, they took Microsoft's um, built-in UAC, which is what it uses to, to give the user access, um, controls, limit what they can do, um, sort of privilege, uh, privilege monitoring and, and deploy any sort of privileges to a user. Um, so it's a part of Windows Defender. And what they actually did is they used it to alter privileges, and then they changed Windows. Windows. Windows Defender to not be disabled, they just changed it to not scan their files. And and that I thought was interesting. And the reason I think that's interesting is because before they would just disable a service. Let's think about it, if you're a bad guy and you want to do everything you can to not get detected, they've, they've sort of, while it's minor, they've improved their process an uh, administrator might recognize that a service has been turned off. They're not as likely to recognize that you simply, you know, blocked it from scanning specific files. So I thought that was interesting that they they took these smaller steps to just, again, tweak their attack to make it a little bit more difficult to detect, yeah. right? So once they, uh, once they did that, now they knew uh, that they would be able to um, deploy other tools run scripts and more importantly uh you know actually drop and execute ransomware um they used other legitimate tools uh they use a thing called the um uh, WMIC, um, which is a um, Windows management um, instrument uh, console. So that allows them to, again, to to actually add users, execute commands. And what was interesting here is they also used it to, um, t- to run a tool called ProcDump. So the WMIC was used to run a tool called ProcDump. ProcDump actually dumps the log files. So again, uh, log files are used where we could identify them, see that they're on the system, used for forensic evidence things of that nature, they're deleting those now. Um, that was also something mm-hmm. that uh, w- was a little bit different that was interesting about this. These extra steps they were taking to delete their uh, their tracks or to hide their tracks. Um, adding legitimate users, that's another um, issue because now they have a legitimate account on the network that they're using to traverse. It's so much harder to find a bad guy when they have legitimate credentials than it is, um, you know, w- when they just have a remote shell and are sort of poking around. Um, so with that Legitimate access using the legitimate tools, um, setting up you know defenses to simply not scan their malware. They created the perfect storm to sort of take over that network and encrypt your data. Um, at that point, they used a tool called PSExec. Again, sounds sounds familiar here. It's a uh, it's another legitimate uh, administrative tool, um, and that tool was used to actually place and copy and drop the ransomware payload onto all the servers and systems that I, they had identified uh, that they wanted to uh, to execute the malware. Just prior to executing the malware, the last step that they do that they do is again using that um, WMI console, they delete all the shadow volumes shadow volumes are used in windows to sort of restore to a previous state. So you can see where that would be bad for a ransomware adversary if the victim could simply restore to a previous state. So they delete that and then, it, once all of that is done, that, the, the the shadow volume's been deleted, the, the environment's been staged and prepped, and everything is sort of the, the perfectly set up for the attack, that's when they execute the payload across all of the servers um, instantaneously and systems instantaneously and present the victim with a ransom note. Now, one of the things that that's interesting that, that Evil Corp has not done is we've seen some other adversaries do is, uh, you know, threatening to post the victim's data publicly or embarrass the victim. You know, we've not right. seen them do anything like that, which we have seen other, other victims do. So um, that could be the next evolution that we see, but it hasn't happened yet. Just again, just something I noticed when comparing this attack to other recent attacks. Hmm. Um, but that's sort of the life cycle of the attack.
0: Yeah. Are they even making an attempt to exfiltrate any data? They're not. No, we have not seen any evidence
1: of that, and that's sort of what I was getting at. Is that you know yeah. we saw other recent ransomware attackers doing that, and I think I've mentioned before there's only about a dozen or so of these you know organized enterprise attackers out there, and you know so seeing uh, there, there's two or three that we've seen start start this trend, and you know Evil Corpse, one of the the, the the most you know professional and unfortunately successful attackers in the ransomware business, so it could be that that they have sort of a, you know, a doctrine of what they do and when they go in for these attacks um, and it works for them and they don't want to deviate it and or they, you know, they really want to sort of test the boundaries of before they change anything they do um, to ensure that they don't get caught. Uh, You know, it's important to mention just because the U.S. indictments were placed against them, that doesn't mean we arrested anyone. So these guys are still out there, you know. No one was arrested. Um, But what was interesting is this time we only saw U.S. companies attacked. So, you know, who who knows if that's by by design or or just happened to be that that's where the victims uh, were physically present uh, during the Mm -hmm. attacks. But, you know, it is interesting that that the U.S. has indictments and then the next major iteration of their attack lifecycle involves all U.S. companies.
0: Do you have any sense for the amount of time that passes between that initial infection when the, the victim, you know, clicks on that link and when ransomware gets executed.
1: Yeah, so there's uh, it's about three to seven days with this group. Um, one, you know, one of we've been looking at a lot of groups, and I think the longest that I've seen out of like I said the dozen or so enterprise attackers is fourteen days. Um, so keeping that in mind, you know these guys are that you know that that's a pretty good average um, in comparison to that. It's about half. So um, you know the, the the shorter amount of time, the smaller window of time that that it takes them to execute the payload from their uh, you know from the time they. To gain initial access, um, that's a smaller window that they can be identified, caught, or prevented from being successful in their attacks. Um, just as an example, you know, that window of time is what allowed us you know, to to identify what was t- taking place. And, you know, these are 31 companies, but they're 31, you know, big companies, most of which, you know, the average American uh, has heard of. 11 of them were, were publicly traded companies, but all of them were large organizations that, uh, you know, are common names or commonly known. So these were big targets. And because we were able to identify it within that window of time, um, we were able to, to prevent the success of this. I mean, you're talking each one of these companies the, the ransom is is usually in, in the millions so this is a mm-hmm. lot of, of money that that was a, we were able to, to prevent going out the door um, but the, the the truth is is that we were able to prevent it this time it's the, the ransomware is a big problem and especially when you have creative attackers it is something that's very difficult to defend against and identify you know every time we get smarter you know the bad guy changes something so I don't want to want to come across as, as too headstrong or, or, or arrogant trying to say that you know we're gonna stop Stop this! You know they they don't have a chance. Uh, we really defenders we really got to be on their toes and keep sort of reinventing their their defensive posture and in order to identify adversaries such as this.
0: And the the ransomware itself does it seemed to be fairly well constructed, sophisticated. You know, not not a not much hope of uh, coming up with with a, a key to to unlock it.
1: Yeah, that's that's the worst part of this is the encryption itself. Is once once that payload is executed to this date, you know, there's not a way to decrypt it without the key. Um, So it's too late once that happens. Once you are hit and the payload is actually executed, there's not a way to decrypt it without the key. So then you're either at the mercy of, Paying the ransom, or or you have to, you know, rebuild your systems, and hopefully you have offsite data that you can reinstate. Because as I mentioned, you know they uh, they delete a, a lot of the uh, the, the local backup hmm. that you might have for your data.
0: Now, so that other organizations can uh, can learn from the success that you all have had here, heading this off. What, what was the what was the key to your ability to be able to uh, detect this and stop it before? You actually got to the ransomware phase.
1: So um, it was it was a combination. Um, it was a, a little bit of a, you know the pr- sort of proactive threat hunting. So we know Cobalt Strike is a tool. We went and looked at the big ransomware enterprise ransomware groups, and we looked at tools that are used. Con- you know by all of them sort of uh, across the whole threat landscape and there's several several things that they use it's 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 difficult for us as an as a defender to go in and, and, and identify all of the legitimate tools um, that are being used it's a little bit e- it's not impossible but it's it's more it is a little bit more difficult uh, it is easier to, you know to, to identify some of the the, the, the rarer penetration testing tools that are still legitimate used for legitimate purposes but aren't as prevalent networks. So Cobalt Strike being one of those was so, something that we just started looking at all Cobalt Strike activity. Again, there's a lot of legitimate activity, so it's not it's not the the most you know the easiest task, but by looking at that that sort of led us to the SOC Ghoulish framework, um, which I've kind of already explained that story, how we pivoted from this. Um, Mm -hmm. But what you could do, again, uh, that's my view. So our view, where we're looking at many organizations. It's a little bit different if you're an organization protecting yourself because you can use, I mean, there's obviously there's security vendors like Symantec where we we help our customers and we do proactive threat hunting, but we're doing it for a lot of companies. So what companies really need to do is with their own, everybody usually has their own internal people as well for security. And they, they really have to look at, you know, those legitimate administrative tools and see how they're being used. That's really what it's gonna take in order to identify this. And there's software, you know, there's, you know, a targeted tech analytics and different tools that you can use that sort of monitors legitimate tools and, you know, takes takes logs and can present them to to defenders to, to sort of audit and to look through, especially if something's suspicious or it's used at a weird time, or it's, we- it's using to drop a file that has a low prevalence, meaning it's not normally seen on your network. All of those things that are not malicious, but they're things that you can sort of dive into and identify and and, and research, and that would allow you to see this activity. And that's usually how we identify it, to be honest with
0: you. Mm. So, I mean, is it fair to say that the, I I, I guess the the leading edge of the type of work that you all are doing and the folks who do, you know, the, the types of things that you're doing is, it's more about looking for behaviors than actual stuff than looking for files that you know a particular file that's written to a hard drive
1: yeah, it's so you can't you you no longer can you just look for the malicious uh, file that's going to set off you know an alert or or fire on a signature because the only that really there's only there were only two malicious files here used and one was the initial um, exploit framework and then the next was the actual ransomware payload but there's about you know a dozen or so uh, tools from that were used for malicious purposes in between that were they were all legitimate they're all tools that would be used that were already present in the network or were were present on the internet and could be downloaded by anyone and also used for legitimate purposes. So it really does take looking at how those tools are being used, not just looking for a malicious tool, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. So in terms of of take-homes and and recommendations, um, what do you have have to say there? What's the best uh, approach for folks to protect themselves against this sort of thing?
1: Yeah, uh a couple of things. One, uh, you know, ensuring that uh you know, privileges are, are really broken out by each administrative need, and that there's no one role within your network that has sort of keys to the kingdom. Um, another is to monitor and heavily audit any newly created accounts on your network. Um, while not all adversaries do this, um, you know, Evil Corp is one of the ones that do. Uh, you know, create their own users. Uh, you know, so that's another opportunity, and that one's that one's an easier one to flag and to identify identify. And then the third is to only allow your administrative tools, many of which are uh, present by default when Windows is installed, but to remove them and/or lock those down so that they cannot by, be used or accessed by anyone but your administrators. And at that point, you have a much smaller pocket of, of legitimate administrator activity, and you can, you know, you can audit that, you can, you know, you can monitor that easier, and you can hopefully identify things that uh, just don't. Look right, and the last piece of it is you know there are you know there there are systems and software and defensive components out there that do help with the legitimate tools uh, monitoring them. None, all of it's a little bit difficult because none of it's directly malicious. But a combination of those sort of three or four things I just said, many of which um, just take time, not necessarily money, are all things that you could do that would really uh, decrease the uh, opportunity for an adversary to be successful with this especially because they have to spend so much time on your network. They're spending at least a a week in most cases, you know, three to seven days, three days, that's sort of the quickest, but there's, there's a window of time where you can identify this, but you have to look at the legitimate activity, not just the malicious stuff.
0: Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Our thanks to John DiMaggio from Symantec for joining us. The research is titled Wasted Locker. Symantec identifies wave of attacks against U.S. organizations